Welcome back, everybody, to Chip and Eric reading through the Bible. Newton, Kansas, number one Bible reading podcast. For two years in a row. Good morning, everybody, because it's what morning it's right afternoon? now. It's morning right now. It could be the afternoon. It's morning for Good us. Afternoon. Good evening. And it is June 1st today, everybody. Welcome to June 1st. Hope you're having a great June 1st today. I hope you had a great June 1st because it's evening. Well, either way, we're going to read Esther chapter 3 through Esther chapter 10, finishing the book of Esther. Wow. Marathon. Esther Marathon. There's going to be, yes, that indeed. It is an Esther Marathon. All right, here we go. Good. <clears throat> Sometime later, King Xerxes promoted Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, over all other nobles, making him the most powerful official in the empire. All the king's officials would bow down before Haman to show him respect whenever he passed by, for the king had commanded, for so the king had commanded. But Mordecai refused to bow down or show him respect. Then the palace officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, Why are you disobeying the king's command? They spoke to him day after day, but still he refused to comply with the order. So they spoke to Haman about this to see if he would tolerate Mordecai's conduct since Mordecai told, had told them he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not bow down or show him respect, he was filled with rage. He had learned of Mordecai's nationality, so he decided it was not enough to lay hands on Mordecai alone. Instead, he looked for a way to destroy all the Jews throughout the entire empire of, Ar of Xerxes. So, in the month of April, during the twelfth year of Xerxes' reign, lots were cast in Haman's present, the presence. The lots were called Purim, to determine the best day and month to take action. And the day selected was March 7th, nearly a year later. Then Haman approached King Xerxes and said, There is a certain race of people scattered through all the provinces of your empire who keep themselves separate from everyone else. Their laws are different from those of any other people, and they refuse to obey the laws of the king. So it is not in the king's best interest to let them live. If it pleases the king, issue a decree that they be destroyed, and I will give 10,000 large sacks of silver to the government administrators to be deposited in the royal treasury. The king agreed, confirming this decision by removing his signet ring from his finger and giving it to Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. The king said, the money and the people are both yours to do with as you see fit. So on April 17th, the king's secretaries were summoned and a decree was written exactly as Haman dictated. It was sent to the king's highest officers, the governors of the respective provinces and the nobles of each province in their own scripts and languages. The decree was written in the name of King Xerxes and sealed with the king's signet ring. Dispatches were sent by swift messengers into all the provinces of the empire, giving the order that all Jews, young and old, including women and children, must be killed, slaughtered and annihilated on a single day. This was scheduled to happen on March 7th of the next year. The property of the Jews would be given to those who killed them. A copy of this decree was to be issued as law in every province and proclaimed to all peoples so that they would be ready to do their duty on the appointed day. At the king's command, the decrees went out by swift messengers, and it was also proclaimed in the fortress of Susa. Then the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Susa fell into confusion. When Mordecai learned about all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on burlap and ashes, went out into the city, crying with a loud and bitter wail. He went as far as the gate of the palace, but no one was allowed to enter the palace gate while wearing clothes of mourning. And as news of the king's decree reached all the provinces, there was great mourning among the Jews. They fasted, wept, and wailed, and many people lay in burlap and ashes. When Queen Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her about Mordecai, she was deeply distressed. She sent clothing to him to replace the burlap, but he refused it. Then Esther sent for Hathach, 
one of the king's eunuchs who had been appointed as her attendant. She ordered him to go to Mordecai, find out what was troubling him and why he was in mourning. So Hathach went out to Mordecai in the square in front of the palace gate. Mordecai told him the whole story, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai gave Hathach a copy of the decree issued in Susa that called for the death of all Jews. He asked Hathach to show it to Esther and explain the situation to her. He also asked Hathach to direct her to go to the king, beg for mercy, and plead for her people. So Hathach returned to Esther with Mordecai's message. Then Esther told Hathach to go back and relay this message to Mordecai. All the king's officials and even the people in the provinces know that anyone who appears before the king and is in her court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter. And the king has not called for me to come to him for 30 days. So Hathach gave Esther's message to Mordecai. Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't, don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you'll escape when all the other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. But you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, saying, Go and gather all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. If I must die, I must die. So Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. On the third day of the fast, Esther put on her royal robes and entered the inner court of the palace, just across from the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne, facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing there in the inner court, he welcomed her and held out the gold scepter to her. So Esther approached and touched the end of the scepter. Then the the king asked her, What do you want, Queen Esther? What is your request? I will give it to you, even if it's half the kingdom. And Esther replied, If it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a banquet I have prepared for the king. The king turned to his attendants and said, Tell Haman to come quickly to a banquet, as Esther has requested. So the king and Haman went to Esther's banquet. And while they were drinking wine, the king said to Esther, Now tell me what you really want. What is your request? I will give it to you, even if it is half the kingdom. Esther replied, This is my request and deepest wish. If I have found favor with the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my request and do what I ask... Please come with Haman tomorrow to the banquet I will prepare for you. Then I will explain what all this is about. Well, Haman was a happy man as he left the banquet. But when he saw Mordecai sitting at the palace gate, not standing up or trembling nervously before him, Haman became furious. However, he restrained himself and went on home. Then Haman gathered together his friends, Zeresh, his wife, and boasted to them about his great wealth and his many children. He bragged about the donor or about the honors the king had given him and how he had promoted been promoted over all the nobles and the officials. Then Haman added, and that's not all. Queen Esther invited only me and the king himself to the banquet that she prepared for us, and she has invited me to dine with her and the king again tomorrow. Then he added, but this is all worth nothing as long as I see Mordecai the Jew just sitting there at the palace gate. So Haman's wife, Zeresh, and all his friends suggested, set up a sharpened pole that stands 75 feet tall, and in the morning, ask the king to impale Mordecai on it. When this is done, you can go on your merry way to the banquet with the king. This pleased Haman, and he ordered the pole set up. That night, the king had trouble sleeping, so he ordered an attendant to bring him the book of the history of his reign so it could be read to him. In those records, he discovered an account of how Mordecai had exposed the plot of Bigthana and Teresh, two of the eunuchs who guarded the door to the king's private quarters. They had plotted to assassinate King Xerxes. What reward or recognition did we ever give Mordecai for this? 
the king asked. His attendant replied, Nothing has been done for him. Who is in the out- Who is that in the outer court? The king inquired. And as it happened, Haman had just arrived in the outer court of the palace to ask the king to impale Mordecai on the pole he had prepared. So the attendants replied to the king, Haman's in the outer court. Bring him in, the king ordered. So Haman came in and the king said, What should I do to honor a man who truly pleases me? Haman thought to himself, Whom would the king wish to honor more than me? So he replied, If the king wishes to honor someone, he should bring out one of the king's own royal robes, and as well as a horse that the king himself has ridden, one with a royal emblem on its head. Let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials, and let him see that the man whom the king wishes to honor is dressed in the king's robe and led through the city square on the king's horse. Have the officials shout as they go, This is what the king does for someone he wishes to honor. Mm. Excellent, the king said to Haman. Quick! (laughs) I love this. Take the robes and my horse and do just as you have said for Mordecai the Jew who sits at the gate of the palace. Leave out nothing you have suggested. So Haman took the robes and put them on Mordecai, placing him on the king's own horse and led him through the city square, shouting, This is what the king does for someone he wishes to honor. Afterward, Mordecai returned to the palace gate, but Haman hurried home, dejected and completely humiliated. When Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends what had happened, his wise advisors and his wife said, Since Mordecai, this man who has humiliated you, is of Jewish birth, you will never succeed in your plans against him. It will be fatal to continue opposing him. And while they were still talking, the king's eunuchs arrived and quickly took Haman to the banquet Esther had prepared. So the king and Haman went to Queen Esther's banquet. On this second occasion, while they were drinking wine, the king again said to Esther, Tell me what you want, Queen Esther. What is your request? I will give it to you, even if it's half the kingdom. Queen Esther replied, If I have found favor with the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my request, I ask that my life and the lives of my people will be spared. For my people and I have been sold to those who would kill, slaughter, and annihilate us. If if we had merely been sold as slaves, I could remain quiet, for that would be too trivial a matter to warrant disturbing the king. Well, who would do such a thing? King Xerxes demanded. Who would be so presumptuous as to touch you? Esther replied, This wicked Haman is our adversary and our enemy. Haman grew pale with fright before the king and queen. Then the king jumped to his feet in a rage and went out into the palace garden. Haman, however, stayed behind to plead for his life with Queen Esther, for he knew that the king intended to kill him. In despair, he fell on the couch where Queen Esther was reclining, just as the king was returning from the palace garden. The king exclaimed, Will he even assault the queen right here in the palace before my very eyes? And as soon as the king spoke, his attendants covered Haman's face, signaling his doom. Then Harbona, one of the king's eunuchs, said, Haman has set up a sharpened pole that stands 75 feet tall in his own courtyard. He intended to use it to impale Mordecai, the man who saved the king from assassination. Then impale Haman on it, the king ordered. So they impaled Haman on the pole he had set up for Mordecai, and the king's anger subsided. On that same day, King Xerxes gave the property of Haman, the enemy of the Jews, to Queen Esther. Then Mordecai, who brought before the king, who, uh, who was brought before the king, for Esther had told the king how they were related. The king took off his signet ring, which he had taken back from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther appointed Mordecai to be in charge of Haman's property. Then Esther went again before the king, falling down on his feet and begging him with tears to stop the evil plot devised by Haman the Agai against the Jews. Again the king held out his gold scepter to Esther, so she rose and stood before him. Esther said, If it please the king, and if I found favor with him, and if he thinks it's right, and if I'm pleasing to him, let there be a decree that reverses the orders of Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agite, 
who ordered that Jews throughout the king's province should be destroyed. For how can I endure to see my people, my family, slaughtered and destroyed? King Xerxes said to Queen Esther and Mordecai the Jew, I have given Esther the property of Haman, and he has been impaled on a pole because he tried to destroy the Jews. Now go ahead, send a message to the Jews in the king's name, telling them whatever you want, and seal it with the king's signet ring. But remember that whatever has already been written in the king's name is sealed with the signet ring can never be revoked. So, on June the 25th, the king's secretaries were summoned, and a decree was written exactly as Mordecai dictated. It was sent to the Jews, sent to the Jews, and to the highest officers, the governors, and the nobles of all 127 provinces stretching from India to Ethiopia. The decree was written in the scripts and languages of all the people in the empire, including that of the Jews. The decree was written in the name of King Xerxes and sealed with his king's signet ring. Mordecai sent the dispatches by swift messengers who rode fast horses, especially bred for the king's service. The king's decree gave the Jews in every city authority to unite to defend their lives. They were allowed to kill, slaughter, annihilate anyone of any nationality or province who might attack them or their children and wives and take the property of their enemies. The day chosen for this event throughout all the provinces of King Xerxes was March 7th of the next year. A copy of this decree was to be issued as law in every province and proclaimed to all the people so that the Jews be ready to take revenge on their enemies on the appointed day. So, urged on by king's, the king's command, the messengers rode out swiftly on fast horses bred for the king's service. The same decree was also proclaimed in the fortress of Susa. Then, Mordecai left the king's presence wearing the royal robe of blue and white, the great crown of gold, and an outer cloak of fine linen and purple. And the people of Susa celebrated the new decree. The Jews, the Jews were filled with joy and gladness, were honored everywhere in every province and city. Wherever the king's decree arrived, the Jews rejoiced and had a great celebration and declared a public festival and holiday. And many of the people of the land became Jews themselves, for they feared what the Jews might do to them. So on March 7th, the two decrees of the king were put into effect. On that day, the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them, but quite the opposite happened. It was the Jews who overpowered their enemies. The Jews gathered in their cities throughout all the king's provinces to attack anyone who tried to harm them. But no one could make a stand against them, for everyone was afraid of them. And all the nobles of the provinces, the highest officers, the governors, the royal officials, helped the Jews for fear of Mordecai. For Mordecai had been promoted to, in the king's palace, and his fame spread throughout the provinces as he became more and more powerful. So the Jews went, on, went ahead on the appointed day and struck down their enemies with the sword. They killed and annihilated their enemies as, and did as they pleased with those who hated them. In the fortress of Susa itself, the Jews killed 500 men. They also killed Parshendatha, Dalphon, Aspatha, Paratha, Adaliah, Eridatha, Parmashta, Arisai, Aridai, and Vaisatha, the ten sons of Haman, son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews. But they didn't take any plunder. On that day, when the king was informed of the number of people killed in the fortress of Susa, he called for Queen Esther. He said, the Jews have killed 500 men in the fortress of Susa alone, as well as Haman's 10 sons. If they have done that here, what has happened in the rest of the provinces? By now, what more do you want? It will be granted to you. And Oh, but now, what more do you want? It will be granted to you. Tell me and I will do it. Esther responded, if it pleases the king, give the Jews in Susa permission to do it again tomorrow as they have done today. And let the bodies of Haman's 10 sons be impaled on a pole. So the king agreed and the decree was announced in Susa and they impaled the bodies of Haman's ten sons. Then the Jews at Susa gathered together on March 8th and killed 300 more men, and again they took no plunder. Meanwhile, the other Jews throughout the king's 
provinces had gathered together to defend their lives. They gained relief from all their enemies, killing 75,000 of those who hated them. But they did not take any plunder. This was done throughout the provinces on March 7th, and on March 8th they rested, celebrating their victory with a day of feasting and gladness. The Jews at Susa killed their enemies on March 8th and on March 7th, and again on March 8th, and then rested on March 9th, making that their day of feasting and gladness. So to this day, rural Jews living in remote villages celebrate an annual annual festival and holiday on the appointed day in late winter when they rejoice and send gifts of food to each other. Mordecai recorded these events and sent letters to the Jews near and far throughout all the provinces of King Xerxes, calling them to celebrate an annual festival on these days, in these two days. He told them to celebrate these days with feasting and gladness by giving gifts of food to each other and presents to the poor. This would commemorate a time when the Jews gained relief from their enemies, but their sorrow was turned into gladness and their mourning into joy. So the Jews accepted Mordecai's proposal, adopted this annual custom. Haman's son Hamadatha the Agite, the enemy of the Jews had plotted to crush and destroy them on a date determined by casting lots. The lots were called Purim. But when Esther came before the king, he issued a decree causing Haman's evil plot to backfire. Haman and his sons were impaled on a sharpened pole. This is why the celebration is called Purim, because it is the ancient word for casting lots. So, because of Mordecai's letter, and because of what they experienced, the Jews throughout the realm agreed to inaugurate this tradition, pass it on to their descendants and to all who became Jews. They declared that they would never fail to celebrate these two prescribed days at the appointed time each year. These days will be remembered and kept from generation to generation, celebrated by every family throughout the provinces and cities of the empire. This festival of Purim would never cease to be celebrated among the Jews, nor would the memory of what happened ever die out among their descendants. Then Queen Esther, the daughter of Abihail, along with Mordecai, the Jew, wrote another letter, putting the queen's full authority behind Mordecai's letter to establish the festival of Purim. Letters wishing peace and security were sent to the Jews throughout the 127 provinces of the empire of Xerxes. These letters established the festival of Purim, an annual celebration of these days at the appointed time, decreed by both Mordecai and the Jew, or the Jew and Queen Esther. The people decided to observe this festival just as they had decided for themselves and their descendants to establish the times of fasting and mourning. So the command of Esther confirmed the practices of Purim. It was all written down in the records. King Xerxes imposed a tribute throughout his empire, even to the distant coastlands. His great achievements in the full account of the greatness of Mordecai, whom the king had promoted, are recorded in the Book of the History of the Kings of Media and Persia. Mordecai the Jew became the prime minister with authority next to that of King Xerxes himself. He was very great among the Jews, who held him in high esteem because he continued to work for the good of his people and to speak up for the welfare of all their descendants. And And that that is is our reading today. today. Woo! Okay. Finished the book of Esther. Yeah, we did. Hey, so what's this tell us about God? What's this tell us about us? This tells me, do not mess with God's people. Yeah, I would say. Do not. He preserves his people. They've had their goods and bads, and the bads, a lot of it was because of themselves. Um, but don't mess with God's people. And this is a good illustration of that. And that, in, that includes the day we live in today. Don't mess with God's people. Um you're you're blessed when you side with them and you're cursed when you go against them. Mm-hmm. And we'll see that that's in prophecy um, that's been fulfilled in prophecy that's yet to be fulfilled. And uh, we see it right here. You know, don't, don't mess with his people. He preserves his people. He protects his people and he will defend his people. And we see a, just a, an incredible story, an incredible turn of events mm-hmm. here. That's true. 
That's a good one. Mm-hmm. What's this all about, uh, about us? Uh, it tells us about us that sometimes the giant pole that we set up to hurt other people mm-hmm. is exactly where we end up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's why the, the conflict resolution of the New Testament is not, hey, go out there and kill all your enemies and, and you know, destroy the people. It, no, Jesus says love your enemies and mm-hmm. pray for those who spite, spitefully use you. And, uh, yeah, it if we just go around killing each other because of, I mean, really, honestly, this was kind of comically petty, right? Like he wouldn't stand yeah. up. Mm-hmm. And so he decided he was going to do a big genocide because mm-hmm. this one guy wouldn't stand up for him. And then he gets all impaled and his sons and everything else. It's like, you know, what, what won't we let go? And how, how, how can we call ourselves God's people and be escalators of conflict, right? Like one person slights us in the smallest way and we decide to blow it up big mm. time, you know? And so I just think sometimes the pole you set up for someone else, the one you end up on. Mm, that is. How do we put them together, Chip? Simple but true. Um, yeah, do it. Pick your pole wisely. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Well, I think don't mess with God's people. Yeah, that's you know, true. Look, look, this is the deal. And it even says so in Scripture. Like, let God do that. You know, we love our enemies. We pray for those who spitefully use mm-hmm. us. Let God handle vengeance. Let mm-hmm. God handle the punishment. Let it go. Mm-hmm. You know, because if you go out there and set up poles for people, you're, you're going to end up on it. And and if God has said, don't mess with my people, mm-hmm. and you're one of God's people, then he'll take care of it when people mess with you. Yeah. Leave it to him. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. Leave it to him. That's a good one. Okay. So who are the people in your life that you need to leave it to him? Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Are, and throw away your pole. And are you praying for those people? Yeah. Praying, serving, loving. Yep. That's a good one. Okay. Very good. Thanks for joining us today. Chip and Eric, read through the Bible. You're welcome. Thank you. Again.